Welcome to the Analytics of Dynasty podcast. I'm your host, Jordan McNamara. In this episode, I want to talk through some of the news items. There's not a ton of news going on right now, post-Super Bowl, heading into the Combine. Haven't gotten full declarations or full uh, invite list on the Combine yet. Uh, that should be out in the next 10 days or so. It's usually about two weeks right before the uh, Combine the official list actually comes out. So we'll be looking for that in the next week or two here. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about some of the news, some things uh, percolating on Twitter, and uh, just a hodgepodge of, of items that I thought were not newsworthy, but uh, value-worthy at this time of the year. So uh, first off, Vernon Davis retired. Not really a big name in terms of start one formats, but in some of these start two tight end or deeper tight end premium formats where you're getting you know, 1.75 or 2 PPR. He was an interesting name. He's uh, really sort of faded off in the past couple of years. Uh, a, a huge athlete coming out. I mean, he broke the mold in terms of in terms of uh, athletes coming out of college. Just a just a, a freak in terms of his testing and and those sorts of things. 438 at 250. I mean, just just a wild <laughs> a wild. Uh, profile coming out uh, struggled a little bit at the start of his career i think never really made it huge in terms of being a, a, a massive fantasy impact or anything like that but i think a long uh, pretty long career and uh, didn't uh, didn't get to superstardom but was uh, bounced back after a slow start to his career and some some coaching issues and really a first slow three years and then came on in his mid to late 20s and then hung around in his 30s. So um, uh, dropped down to only 19 targets this year and it had sort of cut in half the past, basically the past three years. So uh, a good career and uh, career high 13 touchdowns back in 2009, also did that in 2013. So um, besides that, no higher than seven. So a couple peak years and some viability in between there, but um, we'll say happy trails to Vernon Davis. Good luck in his retirement. Um, also notable at tight end, Greg Olson uh, has mutually parted ways with the Carolina Panthers. Um, this is a, a trend I think is worth watching. Matt Rule with the long, with the long contract there uh, to be their head coach at a college. I was looking in the on the Patreon podcast earlier this week. I was I dove into the uh, the contract situations NFC South, and come twenty twenty, they tw- excuse me, come twenty twenty two, they only have eight guys under contract. So it's a notable, a lot of flexibility in terms of their their roster and their contract situations a lot of flexibility there so I think they're an interesting team to watch with Cam and some of the some younger guys under under contract but Cam in particular what direction they go is it a full rebuild is it a you know tank for Trevor type of situation or is it do they try and play somewhat middle ground or are they you know going uh, on this free agent class I think they've got a um, a variety of ways to go, but it'll be they'll be an interesting watch. But uh, I think the signs point to them looking to to rebuild, and I think if they move on from Cam, that's a pretty good indication. Um, also notable, I, I saw today that uh, Kansas City wants to figure out a way to bring back Sammy Watkins. Uh, it's a big it's a big contract in terms of twenty one million dollar cap hit. That seems unreasonable for uh, for the size of his 
contributions. Just they're not proportional in terms of that cap number and those uh, and his production. So we'll look to see. Maybe he's a, a potential uh, restructure candidate or or something to that effect. Um, if they cut him, they would save $14 million against the cap but take a $7 million dead cap hit. So look to see if they maybe do something more uh, reasonable. He's going to be one of the weird players in terms of outliers metrically all, all timer, you know, top five pick in the NFL draft, um, or excuse me, top 10 pick in the NFL draft, um, you know, bounces around and, uh, you know, just, just is, uh, hit early the injuries, you know, was the fourth overall pick, um, to the bills and then bounces around the injuries and, and, lands in a good situation a couple of times in both uh in both LA and then in Kansas City and never really puts it together. Um still only 26 years old. He'll be 27 next year. So, you know, as long as he's been in the league and as as up and down in his as career has been, it's still in his mid 20s. So, uh you know, you wonder if there's something there outside of just production that that his um, you know, whether it's work ethic or what, it's tough to read into those things, but the keep bouncing around thing is notable. Um, and he talked about taking a year off. So, um, and he also, I, one thing I thought was notable in his press clips this week was, uh, during the Super Bowl media blitz was him basically saying, you know, he, it revitalized his career leaving Buffalo. And I don't really think that's true. So his standard for for production and what we look for, um, two different things. I think that might might maybe speak to why he is where he is in his career. But um, notable, Kansas City wants him back. I mean, that's that's basically a third, fourth, fifth option in a passing game. Um, still only twenty six. I'll be 27 next year. Um, but I think his his days of being a projected top 24 player. Uh, seem seem like they're done, which c- considering where he started his career and how high he went in the draft uh, and the type of prospect he was coming in seems uh, pretty uh, pretty disappointing career track considering what you spent in rookie drafts. So um, those are the big notable um, news items. I mean, obviously the Super Bowl, uh, again, uh, running back should have won the MVP and didn't. James White a couple years ago, Damian Williams this year, uh, and quarterbacks win ultimately. It's a it's a, a trend. It has been notable. I know there's been I took some flack on Twitter for saying that it's just the best quarterback award. It's not truly that, but you you've seen the tiebreaker really go to quarterbacks when uh, when that. Uh, there has been a dispute, especially with running backs, because James White, I think, was the best player in that Super Bowl um, that they beat, that came back with the Falcons. Um, Brady was pretty bad for two and a half quarters in that, that Super Bowl. Um, Mahomes struggled. Damian Williams had a, a really strong game. Mahomes turned it over twice, and um, but ultimately wins the award. So um, not really fantasy relevant, but uh, you know, Damian Williams is going to be another interesting player come – come startup drafts and, and I'll be honest this this year I sort of looked at it last year I didn't I didn't think that he was uh the right value in terms of you could get a 2020 first for him you need to do that um I thought it, especially if it wasn't like 112 you know if it was something a little bit earlier than that I thought that was clearly right in terms of everything my metrics say too you know looking 
I, I sort of have a rule, anything outside the top 100 and startup valuation, uh, start one startup valuation for skill players, anything outside that, that comes into the, uh, first round startup value, uh, first round rookie valuation. So anything outside the top 100 in the, uh, in the off season that at some point rises to a first round rookie pick valuation, you should, uh, the odds would say to do that deal. Um, and so that was the case with Damian Williams. Uh, and you know, there was uh, a mix of opinions. I think he was one of the more polarizing players uh, in, in, 20, in the summer of 2019 in the offseason uh, leading into the 2019 season. Um, I don't think he's going to be anywhere near that cost. And is he a potential guy? Hey, listen, injuries, yes. Lack of production in terms of overall hits, yes. Um, you know, older in terms of on the spectrum of guys that would hit for a top 24 season, yes. Uh, but I still think he's in a good offense. There is a non-zero chance that they don't address running back and roll again. And so uh, the cost difference is going to be the big thing. Is he a third-round rookie pick? I mean, that, that might be a little bit more interesting in terms of just the difference in cost. I mean, at, at that third-round cost, he certainly has viable upside on that the first round cost not really you know so um you, you sort of you sort of break those two things down that third round cost hey listen maybe 25 percent of guys in the third round i mean if 25 percent hit that's a really good third round so hey do i have a better of a quarter of a chance that he produces a top 24 season if 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 so that would lean towards taking a deal for him at that cost i'm not sure how that market's going to play out but that's something i think notable notable to watch in this offseason if people bought high and are looking to sort of cash out for something it'll be interesting to watch where his where his uh, cost ends up lying in the offseason a new feature that i want to have on a more regular basis if not a weekly feature is a new article of the week Um, and this isn't uh, a new article per se this is an article by gil brandt uh, NFL.com legend in the scouting community, uh, analysis community, just a uh, just a legend. There's not much more to say other than that. He published a piece actually back in December, but I, I dug back looking at some of these topics because I think it's going to be you know, this part of the calendar. I, will, I think it's a good thing to start thinking forward, looking at risks of potential players, um, contracts, those sorts of things. I'm really into looking at that at this point of the year for existing veterans veteran players so uh he had uh, projecting the fifth year options for the uh 2017 nfl first round picks remember first round picks the fifth year option uh, that it's a team option they can uh choose to extend a fifth year option keep the player under contract through five years they can decline the option and and let the player walk after four um, or sooner than that if they chose but um, that fifth year option is a big part of the first round uh, valuation of a player Um, he broke down some of the players and i think some of them are notable uh, just uh, from the skill position players he had mitchell trubisky uh, as a they thought he should pick up the option. I'll just quote from him. 
Uh, Trubisky has shown enough promise lately to remain Chicago's starting quarterback entering the 2020 season. For that reason, it's worth locking him up in 2021. Uh, notably, these aren't guaranteed options outside of injury. So they could extend the option in the offseason um, afterwards before 2021 comes up, cut him. There's a window in which they can do it. They could cut him before 2021 comes around. But um, he thinks they'll look, uh, they'll basically pick up the option for the looks, uh, the option to have a look see at him for another year so that's that's notable um Leonard Fournette also has uh he has him working on an extension so um you know beyond just picking up the option look for an extension uh and he says quote Fournette has shown himself to be a solid building block so uh, I think that's uh Definitely something that I've seen in the past year. I think he's really turned the corner just from what we can see. But none of the on-field flare-ups, none of the off-field problems that he had. Uh, sometimes these guys, they're still in their young 20s. You know, and uh, it takes some growing up time and, and some acclimation time to, to growing up and being a full professional. So um, Gil Brandt has him working on extension, get him paid. So Corey Davis, the fifth overall pick in that draft, he says that they're going to – uh, he would advise decline the option. They have a uh, new stud wide receiver, A.J. Brown, under contract, uh, and they just wouldn't warrant picking up the cost at $15.8 million would be the projected option. Uh, Gilbrandt has him work, uh, being declined option, so he'd be a free agent. I think that would bring some risk but in terms of downside at this point in his career I'm not sure how much there is in terms of him going someplace else so I think that would be that might uh, create some upside variance on, on where he is uh, maybe just a change of, change of scenery would help him although that hit rate on those those round one wide receivers uh, after they get through year four year five it's really low for guys that haven't hit so he's looking at at priors of him hitting uh it's it was it's less than 20 percent of guys that have gotten to his uh, point in his career which is through three seasons and have not hit f um for first round wide receivers only three of them have done it this century so guys that have missed the first three years uh, have not hit for a top 24 season but hit in year four year five peter warwick Michael Crabtree hitting year four, and Devontae Parker this past year hitting year five. He was one of those interesting players when I sort of went to update my data during the offseason. I could make sure that it was the formula was right because I knew that the year five would tick up from zero to something higher, and it, it did. So um, he was a, the person to, to watch that with. So he is a, a, a rare, uh, a unicorn-type profile. So... Corey Davis, not on a great track. I mean, less than 20% prior odds in, in, in my base rates and the stuff I look at in the book and I put together in my wide receiver tiers and the Patreon side, not not a great uh, history for guys that are at this point in their career. So, um, But we'll see if maybe he can latch on someplace else and revitalize his career a little bit later on. McCaffrey, no surprise working on an extension would be – uh, Gil Brandt's advice, uh, he's been a stud. John Ross declined the option. Again, it's going to be an expensive option. Probably hasn't, uh, he definitely hasn't earned that type of uh, thing. Again, like Davis, uh, bad track for top 24 production, but speed to burn, maybe a Ted Ginn type role later in his career. Patrick Mahomes, no surprise, working on an extension. 10th overall pick in that draft. 12th overall pick in that draft. Deshaun Watson, also working on an extension. So Mahomes and Watson go... Uh, 
much later or uh, you know picks and picks later uh you know Trubisky went two uh, Mahomes 10 and Watson went 12 so a uh, big discount there in terms of uh, the picks and what the cost was uh, on those picks and uh, both are franchise quarterbacks so both working on extensions while Trubisky is sort of floundering a little bit at this point in his career um, you work through that that draft not much in terms of the the teens outside of the quarterback um, OJ Howard was the next skill position player at pick 19 he had him on the fence so doesn't really isn't sure what to do exactly uh, and I think that's that's probably the right cost um, probably the right analysis in terms of what do they see in him I think it's more of an individual determination on what they see in OJ Howard going forward Lots to like in terms of his profile, but listen, he was a boom-bust guy in college and went almost two full years without a touchdown. That's a long time to go for being that good in college um, and and not having a touchdown, just, a, just an odd occurrence, um, and has been fluky there. Now, you could blame it on the offense. Um, you can... It's not a great t- system for tight ends. They've got two stud wide receivers. They've got an inconsistent quarterback. All of those things are true, but at some point, the cream rises, and OJ Howard has sort of floundered a little bit. So, him and David Joku are interesting comps uh, by my by some of my metrics, um, particularly my hit rates, uh, my base rates. Don't really like OJ Howard as much as they do David Joku because Joku has a top twelve finish to date. So, notable distinction between those two. Um, and of course, Joku in the same class, uh, Gilbrandt has Evan Ingram with a pick up the option. Uh, he calls him a quote mismatch nightmare or sorry, a matchup nightmare, uh, among one of the NFL's best pass catching tight ends when healthy. So, uh, high praise, uh, but injuries have, have certainly tamped down his upside, if we could get 16 games of Evan Ingram, gotta like it. But again, the undersized tight end is is uh, a concerning is a concerning trend with the health. So something to monitor. Um, just finishing up down the line here, uh, David Joku at 29 again on the fence. So similar sort of scenario. New uh, another new coaching staff, another new front office. Uh, Maybe the first-round picks from the prior analytics-based front office will like uh, will survive this new analytics-based front office. Um, they didn't do so well under John Dorsey, uh, but it's a around six million dollars would be the number. That would be, uh, you know, it's there's been speculation that he might be traded. There's been speculation that he could be out of there. You know, we'll sort of see on how that all. All goes, but if he's traded, a team could pick up his option, be a plausible uh, two-year look-see at him instead of just a one-year. So, uh, be interesting to watch that development. So, those are the notable uh, skill position guys. Looking at fifth-year options, there's some defensive players, but that's really beyond the scope of this podcast. Um, turning now to some stuff that was uh, one other item of of note. I think news-wise was Dak Prescott. Uh, that Adam Schefter reported that the Cowboys uh, were going to 
be leaning towards tagging him, which I think is bad news for an extension. Obviously, if they were going to come to work close or we're going to come to a deal, they wouldn't need to tag him. Uh, they could just reach an agreement on, a, on an extension. Uh, but that doesn't look like the case. There was rumors that he was that he was going to be a, a potential $40 million candidate was the number that he was looking for. It seems high, uh, but has played like a franchise quarterback. It's now these, now these numbers are going to be jumping up into the mid to high thirties in terms of quarterback numbers. That's where the trend's going. Was Dallas going to pay that? Doesn't look like it right now. Although I, I still think there's, they're going to have a problem with getting both Dak and Amari Cooper under contract. I've been nervous about that from a, from the perspective of they have only got one tag to use. Granted, they could use a transition tag on uh, Amari Cooper, but that, that creates some risk that a team could come in and get him. So um, I am uh, somewhat skeptical that that Amari Cooper is back there um, because of that concern. Now, do they approach Amari Cooper with a with a contract? But again, they want it, he wants to get paid somewhere in the range of twenty million dollars a year. They they don't have a ton of cap space to work with, and they have other they have defensive players they need to get under contract. I mean, this isn't uh, a uh, when you start adding up the clips at what they're going to need to do to pay um, uh, Cooper and Dak. There's not a lot there left to to pay their cornerback and and some other players. So they're they're in a little bit of a bind. Um, and is there a? I think there's a significant chance. I would say it's probably less than fifty percent, but I think it's maybe approaching fifty percent that Amari Cooper is gone. Um, I'd probably, if given a coin flip, I'd probably take Cooper to stay in Dallas. But um, the fact that I'm saying only probably do that is is uh, I think an indication of some of my concern. So um, that's another notable news item. Um, some interesting strategy talk this week. I saw Joe Burrow was uh, in a poll, Ryan McDowell poll, uh, Joe Burrow over Aaron Rodgers, 80.6% uh, to Rodgers, 19.4%. I, I think these are interesting. Um, and in terms of straight up cost, when you see the the difference in those sorts of costs. I think it's it's notable in terms of what you could move off of him. Um, you know, that's essentially as, as Rogers worth the 101 in Superflex. I don't view him. I don't view Burrow as a 101 in Superflex this year. Uh, but I think the market would probably put him up there. Uh, and if you sort of look at that, would you take Rogers in that range? Not sure. Uh, probably, I would guess most owners would not. Um, the, the interesting part is what the gap between the costs would be or what the gap to what the, what you could fill in to go from, to trade down from Burrow to Aaron Rodgers, what that plus would be. That's an interesting, that's more of an interesting, uh, debate, I think in terms of, in terms of those things. But if you look at first round quarterbacks, I mean, it's like a 50, 50 coin flip hit. And, you know, the guys that truly, that truly do it for, you know, I have a couple of different ways that I measure long-term success, but you're looking like 40% of the top 10 quarterbacks will do that. Um, and, and listen, I like Joe Burrow, but I like Baker and you look at some of those other guys and it's still, you can like the player, but you still have to be realistic about the, the, uh, the difficulty of a player to come in and 
and and and produce it, it's really tough for quarterbacks to to do it not going to a great situation if he goes to Cincinnati um, you know we can we can like some of the pieces they haven't proven to be a great franchise you know um, there was rumors this week that uh, not even rumors there was a statement from Tua's uh, agent saying you know he wants him to go to a good situation and he hopes that Cincinnati falls in love with Joe Burrow basically alluding to the fact that he doesn't think that Cincinnati is a great situation, doesn't want his client to go there. So, I mean, that, that's sort of the stink that they have on him, that they have on them at this point, and it's a, it's a concern. Um, I looked at a different metric in terms of my book, and I lay out a whole bunch of super flex stuff in the Analytics Dynasty, the 2020 edition, and some different ways to look at quarterback. In the first top 12 seasonal finish of a quarterback, the age is really important. So if you look at the age of, and I break it down, I got some metrics in the book you can you can sort of look at the Analytics of Dynasty of 2020 edition. Um, but I think the the 23.9 age is important. Um, the guys that are uh, hit for a top 12 season younger than that, those those guys are are on a really good track historically. Um, guys that are older and sort of the more uh, the profiles that I identified more as one hit wonder types uh, it's a little bit more detailed than that in the definitions that I use and some of the metrics but you can sort of delve into that but the guys that are older than that and the guys that that don't really hit their average uh, the the one hit wonder type profiles are uh, 25 years old on average so a full difference between a full year difference um, over year difference and if you sort of look if if burrow were to come in and produce a top 12 season so a top 12 seasonal finish in his rookie year uh, he would be right at the the average number on the long term starters if he did so in year two he would be on the sort of the one hit wonder track uh, and so that's a that's you're already in a precarious age situation with a with a quarterback just by him being a little bit older. Do I like him as a player? Yes. Do I think he has uh, things to offer from a metric perspective? I do. Um, but you sort of have to that that age thing is a consideration in terms of how these players progress. Is he f- a true running threat? Um, maybe. But you look at the guys that really come in early in their career and produce, it's the guys that, that really have a lot to offer on the ground that can, that can boost up their, their rushing production. Um, Watson and, and uh, Mahomes had the ability to produce on the ground as well. Of course, a massive uh, passing career as well. But you look at Lamar Jackson and, and those sorts of things. Like the, the guys that have hit younger – have tended to be guys with rushing profiles. Some of the later hits, Philip Rivers, of course, um, got a late start to his career in terms of being behind Drew Brees. Um, but Drew Brees himself, uh, Matt Ryan, examples of guys that were more pocket passers, it took a little bit longer on the spectrum to hit. So if you sort of put Burrow on a more passing-centric profile, and it takes a couple uh, years, maybe third, fourth years, where you're really looking at, at fantasy production in terms of meaningful top 20 top 12 production at the quarterback position, that's a that's a dangerous age track for him to be on. So uh, when you compare him to Rodgers, you sort of say, okay, maybe I like in the in the, the aggregate, I can see the argument for Burrow. Uh, and but man, if that if there's a spread there, that's a meaningful difference in terms of what I could trade for. That's that's an interesting uh, discussion. That's probably why I won't have Burrow at the top of my uh, 
board in terms of um, super flex. I think there's other positions that are uh, present better options. So, um, but yeah, it's a. I think it's an interesting debate. I, I would. Um, I think. I think quarterback is a little bit misunderstood as quarterbacks age. Um, I understand that there is a strong argument in the the metric community. Ben Baldwin at the Athletic has been um, ragging on. Rodgers has declined for a while now, and he's been pretty aggressive in, in saying that Rodgers has been in decline, and there's been some, some other folks as well that have that have been not anti-Aaron Rodgers uh, as a person or anything, but anti-Aaron Rodgers' recent production. And I, I, I sort of get that. I don't know if we can necessarily decouple the lack of supporting cast in terms of they haven't they haven't spent a day two pick on a wide receiver since uh, Ty Montgomery uh, in 2015 and they converted him to a running back so you just there hasn't been the backfill I mean when Aaron Rodgers was at the at his peak Devontae Adams was a wide receiver three Um, and now again he has progressed to being a, a, a very, very good wide receiver one, but you just sort of look there, isn't that Devontae Adams-like profile anywhere else on the roster, let alone uh, wide receiver three. So, um, yeah, he was behind Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb, two very good wide receivers when they were in their prime, uh, and there's nothing like that as backfill at the position. So I, I don't know how I, – I think that there is a – there's a possibility that that really Aaron Rodgers was never quite as good as he as he as the numbers would have said he was when he had Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb and Devontae Adams and um, that offense was really cooking and isn't quite as bad as he is now. It's it's it might actually have been from a skill perspective closer than the stats would per, that would suggest. So it'd be interesting if they were to add a player. They passed on a guy like AJ Brown this year and Nikhil Harry and they passed on some of those guys who could have stepped in, I think, relatively early in their career and, and made some difference. Are they a player in free agency? Are they a player in the draft this year in a good class that can add some things to sort of help along, uh, lengthen or elongate uh, Aaron Rodgers' career? I think they I think they can be. So um, that would be some place that I'd be interested in. When you sort of look at quarterbacks in their later 30s, the, the guys that play into there are the all-timers, uh, and they don't really – dip in production from fantasy perspective. Um, they come down a little bit, but not. they don't see a steep drop-off outside of not playing. So once they maintain being a starter, you don't see a massive dip in production. So I tend to be a buyer on those guys if I think they're going to be playing into their career. I think that's one of the, uh, that's one of the places where age is misunderstood in Dynasty. So I'm not saying that, that I'd reach to take – you know, pay 102 in a super flex draft for, for Aaron Rodgers, but I don't think you need to do that. You know, the gap between, you know, if, if you could go from, you know, Joe Burrow at 101 to down someplace to, you know, I don't know, Rodgers and, and somewhere in the, the mid first, uh, get a pick in that range, that's, that would be a, a, a more interesting comparison uh, from a value perspective and something I might look to, to do in terms of, adding assets um another uh some other things too uh brandon cooks and mike williams were in an interesting trade uh evaluation uh, tweet at dynasty trade po1 uh mike williams versus brandon cooks just straight up 
Uh, 66.5% liked Mike Williams over uh, Brandon Cooks. I thought that was really interesting. And I, I continue to sort of look at this board and see Mike Williams, he's wide receiver 34. Uh, and Brandon Cooks is at wide receiver 38. Notably, uh, I discussed earlier a little bit the some of the base rates and some of the density rates that I use in the book. Uh, and I think this is a great example of, of their strength in terms of looking at, at players and, and trajectories and and how players sort of progress as, as profiles. And take the name away from it for a second. Just know, hey, this person's pedigree and what they've done to their career, um, what does that mean going forward? So Mike Williams, first-round pick, three years of experience, no top 24 production. Future top 24 production rate of players with that with that set of uh, comps, like I discussed earlier with Corey Davis, not great. 12%. So do I like Mike Williams? Yes. Do I think he has some concerns in terms of his um, his productivity track? Yes, I do. Um, if you sort of look at the guys that have produced in terms of uh, before Devontae Parker, the two guys that did it, Michael Crabtree and Peter Warwick, both had a top 36 uh, finish in their first three years. So does Mike Williams. And so does Corey Davis. So if you're sort of looking for the the arc or the cop, that would sort of be where you would lean uh, in terms of saying, hey, Mike Williams still has upside. This is a big year for him. This is a very, very big year for him. At 26, uh, entering year four, you're going through a quarterback change, uh, and you're sort of this is a this is the teetering point on when players begin to really erode in valuation if they don't hit at this point. He'll be 27 with uh, no top 24 production on his on his resume. That's not a good sign of things to come in terms of high end in terms of high end production, starter production, uh, and market value. So that's notable. Compare him to Brandon Cooks, 27 years old, four top 24 seasons uh, as a round one pick. Guys with that resume, 31% of them hit again. Okay, so 31% of them hit for another top 24 season. Uh, that's a big difference in terms of just the just stripping away the names and looking at the profiles. That is a big difference in terms of two, almost three times more likely for a guy like Brandon Cooks than Mike Williams. And you're seeing Mike Williams preferred uh, two to one over Brandon Cooks in the market. So when you just compare those two things, those are really, um, those are really, really uh, divergent valuations for their pass. And when you think about Brandon Cooks coming into the season, again, four straight seasons of top 15 production. He gets hurt this year, has a down year. Entire offense has a down year. Um, Jared Goff, low touchdown rate. Uh, the, the line struggled. It's getting old. It's just a bounce-back regression from uh, a super high year the year before. But I just Brandon Cooks in the in the 30s, late 30s, after guys like Mike Williams, um, and honestly, after a guy like Will Fuller. And I like Will Fuller, but Will Fuller's on that same Devontae Parker track. You've got to take a guy like Brandon Cooks over them. So um, it's just an interesting value comparison between the two. Um, the density rates from my book and from my research really like a guy like Brandon Cooks over those two guys, over Williams and Fuller in particular, and you're getting a discount. So a notable, uh, a notable feature 
uh, of those guys and of the book, the value that you can get in the Analyst Dynasty 2020 edition. Um, a trade that I made this week uh, is the first one of 2020. And I didn't necessarily set out to make this trade. Um, someone made me uh, one of these offers. And I've talked about this a little bit. Sometimes you get offers and, and you're like, well, what the heck is this person thinking? And you know, this isn't anywhere near what what I value in terms of you know them putting together a cobble of players for my couple of studs. Um, and but one thing I've learned as a dynasty owner, uh, and and giving advice and talking to more folks, uh, is is flip what your perspective is. So when you get an offer in your inbox and you just say that makes no sense for me, think about what it's saying about what that person values instead. Not, not what it says about what you should be valuing, but what does that person value? And so this was a good example. It was a bunch of players that I had very little interest in, but he had a couple of players that he really sought interest in. And it was his, he had made like three or four offers that revolved around uh, Jarvis Landry, Devontae Parker, and Kenyon Drake. And it was like, McCole Hardman and like Benny Snell were a couple of the pieces in that. And it's just, you know, like uh, later second. And um, he said, you know, here's a first you can have. And, and I said, yeah, but that just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Um, and so I, I said, okay. And so I, so I looked at it and I said, well, what, what would I, what would I say yes to? And so I just turned around and I said, fine, if you want Landry Parker and Drake, who, Again, Parker's on a little bit of a weird track. I like Landry quite a bit in terms of his progression of his career. Consistent top 24 producer. I like those profiles because those are really valuable uh, over the course of a season in your lineup. Um, and Kenyon Drake going into free agency um, in his mid-20s, I like him as a player, but you know, there's, there's value consideration there. I said, well, what would I take? Uh, he owned the 101. And I said, okay, well, I would take Evan Ingram in the 101 for those three players. Um, I offered it back thinking I would immediately get rejected, and the guy would say I was crazy, and he took it. Uh, and I think it's a good example of I didn't – I looked at my team, and I said, you know, listen, I, have, I already had three 2020 firsts, uh, and they were 102, 106, and 107. So they were firmly in play to be really good players. I can have all the flexibility in the world to move up, move down – move around, um, do what I wanted in terms of valuation, have some core players uh, and and some depth at running back without a ton of elite uh, eliteness. I had guys like Leonard Fournette, for example, but I don't have a lot of high-end players. Uh, Mike Evans and A.J. Green and Corey Davis were also uh, my wide receiver in core. So I was sort of at a mix of – I think I'm competitive. Um, I made the playoffs last year, early exit for the for the bad uh, week 14, which I had just across my portfolio, but I had a bad week 14 in this particular league and um, got bounced. Didn't expect to come into the season as, as, a, as a playoff team, got in, thought I should have done better than I did. Ultimately, I can't really be upset considering I didn't think I was going to make the playoffs. I made the playoffs and got bounced early. So, um, but I, I had established myself with two additional picks on top of my own and one of them turned out to be 102 the other one 106 so I felt that I was in a, a decent position going forward um, 
and I, I honestly benefited from Parker. I, I, it was an orphan team that I'd taken over. I had Parker on it, and I just said, no, I'll keep him and see. And he hits, and now I extract value from him. So I sort of look going forward. I'm going to have 101, 102, 106, and 107. Do I make all those picks? Not sure. Possibly. Uh, maybe I move down, uh, but I, I'm in I'm in ranges that I really really like. And honestly, if if I double down at running back uh, with the first two picks, it's non super flex. If I double down with the running backs in the first two picks, and I can hit a couple of receivers at uh, six and seven, or move down again from from there, uh, I, I'm putting myself in plenty of contending position already just by having the the couple of running backs uh, to go with um, Russell Wilson as a quarterback and, and Evans and some of the pieces that I have and some of the higher upside guys that I have on my bench as well. So, uh, But the, the trade wasn't necessarily made from a need to contend. It was just a pure value trade. Um, and now I can readjust, look at my contending window, and see. And one thing that I don't mind when I'm contending and I'm coming more and more onto, I talked to John Hogue on his podcast. Uh, he came up with the idea of clustering or, or use the phrase clustering. Um, and it's sort of make sure your guys are in the same contending window, whether it's long term or short term. Make sure you got guys that sort of match up and you're sort of all growing in the same direction. Uh, and the more I think about that, rookie running backs can do that with guys that are in their prime at wide receiver so you sort of look at those and you can track in the same direction so uh, i'm not sure where my team is on the contending perspective right now has a lot of value in terms of four picks in the top seven so uh, with some assets that i really really like on my team so a notable trade i just think that it goes to somewhat of the process of making trades that's one question i'm asked a bit i don't can't really get into it in written form the analytics of dynasty because it's I think a lot of it's anecdotal, but when you sort of hear and see these stories about how trade negotiations come through, I think it's it's um, the process of, of doing it and sort of going through the actual negotiation, I think is, is, is pretty helpful in terms of highlighting those things. So a notable trade that I made. One other thing that I want to highlight uh, before I close the show is something I've seen recently, the... The Julio Jones... Uh, valuation talk. And I have seen consistently that people are saying, you know, oh, you should, you should get out. You know, you got to get out. It's time to get out. Um, on Julio Jones, his value is going to go down. Um, you know, he's just going to be a somewhat of a declining asset and he's never going to be more valuable than he is. And all of that thing, all of those types of statements about him. And one thing I've noticed, and as, as the more I've evolved in in the data research and sort of looking for different value points on players uh, and different profiles, is I think that we get caught up too much in, in trying to capture value. And, and what I mean by that is there are certain players, especially um, at the different age curves at positions. And I did a lot of this work in the analytics of dynasty in the first book, my first, my first book, uh, in terms of the age and how players produce and, and the types of profiles that produce. Um, there are certain players that just are going to be more valuable on your team than they ever will be trading them. And when you look at a guy like Julio Jones, he is uh, a good representation of that. He is, uh, Entering his 30s, uh, he's going to 
uh, he's the wide receiver one on his team. His finishes in the past six years, wide receiver six, wide receiver two, wide receiver six, wide receiver seven, wide receiver two, wide receiver two. There are some times that you just cannot get uh, the proper value for a player like that. And I, I will, it would analogize it this way, which is to say, if you are looking to buy a car to drive it until the tires fall off, who cares what the blue book value of the car is at any given moment? It is always going to be more valuable to you than the market value that you can get, whether it's paid off, whatever it is. You're saying, listen, I don't really care what happens to the value of this car. I'm going to drive it until the wheels, until it stops driving. And I had one of those cars. I had a 97 Grand Am when I was in college, went to law school, drove it as I was waiting my bar results, waiting tables. That that car had 190,000 miles on it. It was much more valuable to me to keep driving it than it was, and than anything I could ever go try and trade it in for. And I said, listen, I'm just going to drive this car until I can't drive it anymore. And then it finally broke down. But it didn't matter to me what I could trade it in for because uh, there was never going to be a time where I was going to say, I'm going to trade this car in. I'm just going to keep driving it until it, it, the tires fall off. The fact that I don't have a payment on it is really valuable to me at this particular time. Um, so if it's worth $500 and I can keep driving it, that's money that I don't have to pay every month for something that's more valuable. It's fine. It's serving its purpose. Julio Jones is the is the 97 Grand Am version of uh, Dynasty production. He's going. It, he is probably not going to keep producing top two finishes. I get that. But if he's going to produce, if if top 12, top six is certainly in his range of outcomes. If you can get top 12 production from a wide receiver who is in his 30s, who is an elite guy coming out of college, uh, top 10 pick, those those careers. And when you look at when you look at the the age spectrum uh, of of players, and you look at it from the pick perspective, the guys that are really young, elite picks. The guys that are really old, elite picks. The guys that um that that are on op- either end of the the age perspective, uh, the age profile. They're the elite picks. Julio Jones fits that. He fits the model of a guy that can play into his mid thirties. Larry Fitzgerald is a great example of that. If you if you look at guys that fall off, even the elite players that fall off, Jordy Nelson is a guy is a good example of that. Would have was elite, but fell off in his early thirties. He was a later. He was a day two pick, right? He sort of fits the profile of a guy that falls off in his thirties, uh, earlier in his thirties. Julio Jones is the opposite of that. He's a guy that projects. If he continues to want, if he wants to continue playing, that can continue to play at a serviceable, uh, fantasy viable, fantasy starter level into his mid thirties. If you trade Julio Jones right now, and I have seen things like, oh, a late first for him, a late first round pick in terms of if you're just looking at stock straight uh, one quarterback, okay, and you look at the picks in the uh, from seven to twelve, so the late first round pick. If you get if you get 50-50 on that in terms of a 50-50 hit rate at wide receiver, you're doing pretty good. Okay? That's about what the historic hit rate is for wide receivers in that range. Okay? They're about a 50-50 hit to be a fantasy starter. Uh which is good not great. 
okay? But you're basically flipping a coin, okay? If you if if Julio Jones gets you a start this year, you're you're ahead of that. And when you sort of look at the densities of those guys, you're you're uh, a, a significant favorite to ever uh, to to in this season to outproduce anyone uh, to outproduce the random pick that you would take in that range at wide receiver. Okay, and so I, when you see the 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 trade of oh should I trade you know um, should I basically use him as a package up piece to move up in my draft? If that's where we're gonna be, I'm buying Julio Jones. Okay, uh, because there uh, there is uh, the perception in the market that you know oh I need to cash out I don't want a player to to you know quote retire on my roster um, with a guy like him. I'm going to ride it like the Grand Dam until the wheels fall off. And there are certain players that you just don't care about what their value is because if if you don't care, you're just going to you're going to you're going to use up the production, use up all the production and then you can move on. Okay? But there could be Julio Jones compared to some of the guys in the late there will be players that you that will be selected late in the first round of rookie drafts this year that Julio Jones uh, will have a longer career then. Um, I think that's a very reasonable conclusion to come to. Um, and so if Julio Jones continues to play, he's with a good quarterback uh, with in a, in a, in a uh, stable franchise, he's fully capable of playing into his mid thirties. If he so chooses, um, if he gets one top 24 season this year, he's already outproducing what you can expect um he's he's going forward um a, a better bat than you would get uh future production from players in that spot so um you know one top 24 season this year uh versus the rest of a career um you know you put that on because he's get, there's a chance that he gets two you sort of look at that you sort of look at that odds that he gets another one uh, and compare it to the hit rate and the density rates of, of guys in that similar range like he's better than a coin flip uh a significant favorite i would say to outproduce uh the the picks in that range so yeah i i he's one of those players that you just don't it doesn't and i tweeted out this week some players you don't care if you don't care about the value of a player um it doesn't really matter if their value is going down uh and so he's an example of that there are other players where that's not that that's not true um at running back for example damian williams was an example of that where he was on a clear value um you know cliff right and so that was a position where you could move away from he represented a lot different profile um, but Julio Jones is, is is a unicorn I mean it's a Hall of Fame player in his in his um, early 30s uh, he's not old by the way those guys go he is um, and and maybe the the Gronk example is is in people's mind where hey these guys are starting to retire a little bit early um, I'll, I'll bet the other side of that and especially if it's just going to be for a package up, uh, you know, a package up movement player in the first round of rookie drafts all day, all day. I'm taking um, Julio Jones at that valuation. So um, just a notable thing. It's been a debate on Twitter um, and a debate in, in, in other forms. I figured I would just touch on that in, in terms of some of the hit rates and those sorts of things. So that'll pretty much do 
uh, it for this podcast. Again, uh, if you can go ahead and rate, if you're enjoying the podcast, go ahead and rate it and review it. Uh, on iTunes, it'd be really helpful. Subscribe to it. It gives me uh, some additional uh, bump up in the, the algorithm that they like to use to rank and order these things where when you search for them, so that'd be great. Um, you can also find the book, Analytics of Dynasty. I previewed some of the stuff that's in it, um, and I really think like the, the discussion about quarterbacks um you know there's a lot there in terms of i don't want to uh i don't want to give uh it's tough to put it all in an audio form in this context but i sort of dove into it a lot in the book um in terms of the methodology and sort of looking at these guys and really how they hit um i did that in depth and i've done a little bit more on the patreon side because i it allows me to sort of do specific topical things in a in a sing in a singular podcast where it's not really a great format in a in a weekly show. So um, you can check all that out analyticsdynasty.com slash shop. You can get the book uh, the 2020 edition thirty dollars immediate download comes as a PDF. If you have any problems, DM me questions. Go ahead and DM me at McNamara Dynasty on Twitter. Uh, I like to answer any questions. Uh, I I like to chat. So go ahead and hit me up there and have any uh, discussions that you need to have with me. Uh, you can do it uh, in my DMs. Uh, you can also more audio content. Uh, like I said, I, th- I alluded to this earlier. I have been going through all of the contract situations in the NFL uh, through all of the divisions. I'm through six of them, I believe. Uh, going on to seven uh, now with... Um, just finishing up the NFC um, and and sort of working through there. I'm actually done with seven. Eight, my last one will be next week in, in the Patreon side. So all that stuff's out. If you subscribe to Patreon now, patreon.com slash analytics of dynasty, you can get all of those. So they're all available there for you. Um, you can get all the stuff that I've previously put out in terms of whatever tier you're in, in terms of the, um, the, the Patreon side the patron tier that you're in, you can go ahead and get it. Um, all of the stuff that's, that's previously been published for that, that tier, you can get that. Um, my dynasty tiers are out. Uh, they do quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends a little bit differently. So I look at, I'm looking more at value, um, prior, prior types of profile projections on players. Um, and I wrote notes on hundreds of them. So, um, that's all there. They're all available there. I have a podcast associated with each and every one of them. So, um, that's part of the, the dynasty patron, uh, tier that's $10 a month. And then I also have a group me, uh, which is pretty active. There was some trash talk going in there today about who is going to get into what league and who's going to compete, be competing against who. Um, I think we've put that to bed we're not going to eat our own. Um, but some, some fun razzing there, uh, this week and, and it's just going to be even more valuable to get more ideas flowing back and forth in terms of startup trades and all that stuff. I love the discussion in there. Some really, really sharp dynasty players, uh, and some sharp strategies in terms of different life profiles. And that's one of the things I've really valued in terms of this analytics of dynasty journey is talking to different people who have different life experiences and sort of how we can implement that in dynasty. It's super valuable. A lot of different, um, backgrounds and profiles in there to look at things a lot differently and, and really sharpen our values. It's a, it's a sharp place to be. So you can get all that analytics of dynasty, the Patreon, patreon.com slash analytics of dynasty is a little as $4 a month. Um, uh, and to get into the group me with all of the content, all the tiers and all of the, 
the benefits that provides uh, $20 a month. So you can find all that uh, at patreon.com slash Dynasty, the book at analyxdynasty.com slash shop, and the 2020 edition, uh, the 2019 edition of the book is also available uh, for $20. If you're newer to Dynasty, you're checking out the podcast and, you know, I'm, I'm interested in some of this stuff, but I'm new to Dynasty. I don't really know, um, you know, how do you value picks or what, you know, what are you sort of looking for? And you just want to sort of overview of the whole process. I, I basically walk you beginning to end through the Dynasty journey. Um, and it's on sale for $20. Again, if you have any questions, feel free to hit me up on the DM. Uh, again, rate and subscribe to the podcast. would be greatly appreciated. Um, and until next time, keep embracing the variance.